All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Difficult Conversations by Supply the Why. A lot of you have been asking, and they're back. By popular demand, we have Dr. Obed Magni and Mike Powell. So let's go ahead and get them up. Gentlemen. How's it going? Long time no see. Hey, it's been a while. Uh, Obed, what, what's, what's been new with you, man? What's been going uh, on? What, what hasn't been going on? Um, you know, just doing a lot of work around the country, working with uh, some police organizations, uh, you know, just gathering the sentiments of police officers and community members, kind of putting it in this document so that, you know, national policies in the hopefully not so distant future uh, will be driven by the data that we get from those who are most affected by uh, you know, anything and everything related to law enforcement and not on conjecture or what we think works or I wonder what people are thinking. It's like, no, we're going to actually sit down and we've already, in some of the work I've been doing, <clears throat> uh, you know, with in conjunction with other organizations, uh, we've been sitting down and doing listening uh, sessions with police officers and community members all over the country. Just, you know, there's a lot of overlap, believe it or not, with what, you know, people want and what the police want. Uh, but, you know, I could go on and on and on, but we're just out here working on uh, improving the profession. I love it. That's fantastic. We're, we're going to have to circle back on that. Mike, mm -hmm. what's been going on with you, brother? Same old stuff, just maintaining. Um, I, I think something's in order. I, I think a congratulations on your new position as, as deputy chief, uh, first and foremost. Um, so it, it's huge, and I'm excited for you. Uh, and, and I also want to touch upon something uh, that that Obed uh, just mentioned. I think that's a that's also an incredible task, and, and um, I can't uh, wait to see the the final outcome. Well, first of all, thank you. I appreciate you uh, giving me a little shout out there for that. It's uh, it's something that I've that I've been working hard towards, and I've with people like yourselves in my life, and 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 some and some of the other people I've met, especially over the past year and change. Uh, you've really lit a fire under me and you've really inspired me to reach for heights greater than I thought were possible. And this is certainly part of that. Um, I'm looking forward to the task. There's a lot of great folks over there. And uh, I know we're going to we're going to work together and we're going to try to make uh, make the make the department the best it can possibly be. So I'm, I'm excited about about what's ahead. Fantastic. Well, you got, you got friends at uh, Malden PD. So uh, anything you need. All right. You already, you already know you got support on the West Coast. So, no, I can't, I can't wait to get out there one of these days and enjoy some of that West Coast weather. I can tell you that much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, fellas. So before we get any deeper in this, a couple of acknowledgments. Uh, first, uh, I want to acknowledge all the people, all the lives, all the families that were adversely affected by the events of 9-11 20 years ago. Um, it's crazy to me that it's been that long. But uh, it it it's time time flies, and and I just want to acknowledge all the people and uh, all the families that were uh, ruined forever as a result of that madness. Secondly, I also want to acknowledge a a former uh, coworker of mine, a friend, a, um, a guy uh, we don't speak very often, but a guy who really just went out of his way to make me feel at home when I uh, when I transferred to Manchester, New Hampshire, PD. Uh, to Tom Ouellette and family, um, I, I I don't know what to say. We love you and we support you. And uh, tomorrow we're gonna we're gonna be pumping out your GoFundMe links. 
you know, poor Tom was in a car accident uh, with a couple of his kids, and he lost uh, his two sons lost their lives in that accident. Uh, I can't think of anything crueler for a, for a, for a parent to have to go through than to uh, outlive your children. And um, and like I said, he's just uh, just one 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 great man. And uh, I, I I just feel for him. And I just felt the need to to shout out uh, the Olette family and let you know again we're we're with you and we support you. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna do what we can to try to. Uh, take even just a little bit of the of, of the pressure off from this situation. All right. And finally, I would also like to shout out all of our female law enforcement partners. Um, today's your day. Today's National Police Woman Day. So for all of you, all the women that all the great women that have been on the show, the Bisa Frenches, the Joan, the Joni Reddicks, the the Roseanne Richel. This and so many more, you know, like and all of the women I, that I've worked with over the years. There's way too many to, to mention all of you. Uh, we appreciate you, and I hope that you enjoy this day because you have earned it through hard work and sacrifice. And uh, it's it's just great that you that this is a day to recognize you, gentlemen. Any thoughts on any of that that I said? I know it was a lot. No, no. I I, I also want to uh, take a minute to recognize all the uh, fantastic. Uh, women in this profession uh, we couldn't do it without you so uh, today's your day yeah same here uh, some of my best partners were female officers so uh, yeah enjoy your day all right so right <laughs> off the bat um i know that uh that our friend one of our number one viewers erin she just wants to say you know thoughts to the prayers thoughts and prayers to uh the family and it's so very hard, the heartache no parent should have to go through. All right? So, gentlemen, let's get into it. 9-11, 20 years ago. So I'm going to start with you, Obed. I'm going to talk about where you were in your life and what what do you remember about that day? You know, you know, from the outset, you talked about how it was 20 years ago. And, you know, yes, and you guys know I'm a big college football fan. And, you know, I'm watching sports yesterday and I'm hearing 20 years. I'm like, there's no way it was 20. Years. This, this was last last week. There's, like, there's no way there are adult children that are walking the earth today that weren't alive when that took place. And, you know, I remember I was working at Eagle Global Logistics in East Boston, right by the airport. And, you know, I'm watching this on TV and it was like so surreal. Like it didn't, it wasn't real. It was like, this is like a movie, right? This, you know, that feeling of you have no words and, you know, you had the one tower, you know, come down and then the other one subsequently going down. And you, there's something to be said for shock and you literally can't get a word out of your mouth. And all I remember was, and I don't know why this was so vivid for me, but if you, for anybody who's ever been in East Boston, which is by the airport, there's planes taking off and landing all the time and flying all over all the time. I remember it was so eerily quiet. You know what I'm saying? Like when I say eerily quiet, it was, there was nothing moving. And the only thing flying in the sky was like an F-16 because at that point it was all the, you know, flights were grounded and, you know, it's just like, wait a minute, we have this happening at the, yep. you know, in, in, in New York. And then 
the Pentagon was hit, and it was just like, wait a minute, hold up, what, what's going, what, what's going on here? I'm not, you know, I'm not ready for all this. So, you know, that's just kind of, you know, what I remember. It was just, it was just so surreal. And even just talking about it right now, it's like it still doesn't feel like, like, did this really, really happen? You know, uh, so many lives were lost. You know, just tragic all around. And you know, let me just give a shout out to all of the FDNY. Um, you know, firefighters and the police officers who ran towards, you know, that event, you know, you know, just to save as many lives as possible. You know, there were, I mean, it was, everybody was affected, white, black, Protestant, Catholic, Muslim. I mean, it didn't matter. You know, it was just, it was like that punch in the gut. So that that's what it felt like for me. Well, we're going to circle back to that part of it too. When we, when we talk about the aftermath, Mike, what say you? Yeah, and I, I think Obed hit a lot of, uh, upon some of the emotions that I was I was feeling as well. It it, def, it certainly felt surreal, um, and I and I felt this sense of helplessness, particularly as a service member, when you see something like that um, uh, impacting uh, the place, the country you're from. Uh, it mixed a, a lot of emotions um, really boil up, and and like I said, I felt this uh, this feeling this helpless. Just felt helpless being in a, in, a, in a different part of the world and seeing seeing the uh, traumatic uh, events unfold. Um, uh, you know, I was at a loss for words. Um, and, and like I said, uh, it really it, it didn't feel real at that moment. Well, let me echo your sentiments there. So I was 25 when all that happened. And I was in that was before I was in law enforcement. I was doing door to door business sales for straight commission to give you an idea of how I was living. All right. So I was just starting out my sales day. I was in the downtown Boston, Chinatown area, somewhere in there, in those streets. And I had walked into a, a bar, I think it was called Biff's something like that. And, and we're talking, I mean, this is early in the morning, this is nine something in the morning. And I walk in and I see all these people of different races, like working people, like construction type cats and all that, huddled around the bar. And I'm sitting to myself, I'm like, first of all, it's quiet in here. Why is like nobody's talking nothing? Second of all, I'm like, it's kind of early for all these people that are dressed in work here to be in a bar, huddled around this TV. So I go up to see what's going on. And you see the news about the towers. And now I'm one of these guys. I'm sitting there quiet, glued to this TV, watching what's going on. And then when it um, was discussed that the that that some of these that the planes had taken off from Boston, downtown Boston turned into it was it was a madhouse. You see people. It was like something out of a movie. You're seeing people pouring out of buildings, trying to like just running around crazy. People are screaming. People are there's just a state a state of utter panic. And everybody's trying to get on the subway to get out of the city because nobody knew what was going to happen next. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just, um, I, I'll never forget that feeling of, of panic and, and wondering, like, are we at war? Are we being attacked? Like, I, like not knowing what was going on uh, was, was crazy for me. And I just remember, like Obed alluded to earlier, the days, weeks, months afterwards where the silence was deafening. You didn't see any planes in the sky. Um Unless they were military, you didn't see, like, people weren't traveling. People were, uh, 
I don't know. It, 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 it was strange. That's the bad side. The good side is, and I'm going to ask you guys about this, talk about the unity that came as, as a result of that. I thought that was, uh, you know, I mean, we can't experience beauty without ugly, right? Obviously, that event was ugly, but the beauty of the unity that, that came afterwards was um, something that I'll also never forget. So, Mike, can you talk a little bit about that, about about your view of the unity that came? You know, and when I, from my experience and what what I remember, the beauty that came out of that for me is the you know that that American spirit of everybody coming together at that at that moment and and wanting to help and and I mean, you're talking about folks flooding into New York at that particular time just to to give aid um, and to help out in any way they they could, uh, and that that was the that was the beautiful thing to me, uh, seeing and hearing those stories. Um, uh, you know, people consoling strangers, uh, strangers hugging strangers. I mean, that 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 part of of, of that ugly period um, was the beauty for me. Um, and 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 it even goes, uh, you know, once you start hearing the stories about the, the four planes and and uh, at, at each at each impact, and then you hear about that fourth plane where the folks on that on on that fourth plane really came together and you know and and saved some lives. I mean it cost them their lives, but they I I I would um I would say that that their heroic actions in in overtaking those that plane and the, and the terrorists on that plane, I mean they saved a lot of lives and it could have it could have been a lot lot worse. Um, so that's the beautiful stuff that that I take from from this tragedy. 100%. Obed, you want to jump in on this? You know what, man, uh, Mike, <laughs> I don't know that I could have said that any better. We all, when we talk about heroes, we talk about, you know, firefighters, police officers, right? We expect, you know, people in the military to be in that category. But the heroes on that flight that, you know, went down in Pennsylvania, these were regular, ordinary citizens who said, you know what, we're going to do what we're going to do to save lives and to write this ship or, you know, do what we can to, you know, not play victim, but play superhero. And that's what those people did. Yep. And the stories afterwards, right? So you would hear about, you know, somebody who may have been a stockbroker in this one building or somebody who was a carpenter, you know, over here. And, you know, it was like as if you were talking about everybody who was playing for a particular team. And I know that, you know, Dean and I have played, you know, football in the past at UMass Boston, shout out Beacons. Um, but you know what I'm saying? It's like when you talk about um, this country and, you know, the different backgrounds, it didn't matter what color you were or your socioeconomic, you know, situations or anything like that. Everybody had one mind, one voice, you know? And that was, I mean, I wish we had more of that today. We desperately need more of that today. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that I've ever seen a country so unified um, than, you know, 20 years ago when that when that incident took place. So, you know, that's what took place, you know, um, but the, the the stories of ordinary folks who are heroes and super ordinary heroes, I should say. So, yeah. well, let me ask you this. All right. So speaking of we'll stay on the unity front for a little bit. You know, when I have this conversation about 9-11. That is what always comes up, especially when I talk to other first responders like us. And everybody longs for those days again. But I, I have to ask, what would it take 
in order to get that kind of unity again. It seems like in order to get that kind of unity, you need some sort of hella catastrophic event to take place. So is that what it, what it's going to take? Because I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm optimistic that we'll ever have that kind of unity again. It seems like it's almost fashionable for people to be at each other's throats and uh, and be at odds with one another. Thus, why this supply the why started in the first place. So, Obed, I'll stay with you. What are your thoughts on that? What would it take in order to, to get that kind of uh, trust and in, in brotherhood and sisterhood back? Yeah, so th- there's a lot of exit ramps for that answer. Um, you know, one of them, like yeah, you know, hey, I came up with that all of my own. Okay, <laughs> talk to me about exit ramps, Obed. Well, so you've got one exit ramp, for example, right? Politically, you can go back a couple of decades. We were already becoming more and more fractured. Right. And then when you talk about, you know, different laws and everybody thinking more of themselves and money becoming more influential in politics, there really isn't in many respects an incentive to be more compromising with people who you don't agree with. So there's one avenue. You've got the other avenue of, again, when we're talking about people and everything becoming more polarizing. At the end of the day, we're all people, right? doesn't matter. Again, uh, you peel back the skin. We're all, we're all bleeding underneath. We all got bones and, and that kind of stuff. But it's easy for people to just kind of like stay in their lanes, right? We have technology where I can communicate with people and be global and sit right here and not actually have to physically reach out and touch someone. You know what? If I'm an introvert, I think I'm okay with this. So that's another exit ramp, right? Where technology, we're just this world is getting smaller, and there aren't as many people interacting with other people and getting to understand them. And I think you actually mentioned something, Chief, uh, in a previous episode specifically, where you talked about this. And I think we were talking about cancel culture, and the the premise was, you know, it's easy to be a keyboard tough guy, right? Yep. But when you have to talk to somebody in real life, that emotional intelligence, those interpersonal skills, how do you understand someone? How do you disagree with someone without being disagreeable? That's becoming a lost art. So a lot of these things, that's where I mean by a lot of exit ramps. It's like, I, you know, there's a lot of inter and intra connectedness as to how we got to this point. I don't know that there was one specific thing or one or two specific things that kind of got us to this point. All right, Obed, let me, let me let's loop Mike in on this. Mike. Jump in on this, and Obed brought up something earlier when he said something like there's not enough incentive in order to for people to not be at each other's throats. So touch base upon that and, of course, respond to anything that was said prior. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I, I don't know what it's going to take for us, uh, you know, for the country to to come together again like like we've seen uh, in the past. And I, and I hope it doesn't take a traumatic event to do that. I, I think, you know, I think Obed – mention something and I keep on going back to it uh, every time we have these conversations is we need to figure out how to diffuse emotions. We, there's, there's, we, you know, we, we leak our emotions into everything we do. And I, and I, and I think that that really is impacting a lot of things that, that are, that are going on, going on in the country today. Um, we have too much extremism. We're too extreme, right? We're too extreme left. We, we need folks to get back to the middle. And I think that if we can do that, I, I think, you know, I, I think that we can get to a place, uh, a better place. 
again, it takes time. This doesn't happen overnight, but I, but I think we need to defuse emotions and, and get away from the extreme right, extreme left. Let's get back to the middle uh, because that's where, um, that's where we need, that's where we're going to see a, a big difference. All right. I love that because you just, you, I, you, your blink is on and you turn it on to the emotional intelligence highway. And I happen to have an expert right on screen with us. So Mike's talking about, to me, accessing emotional intelligence. Obed, so I want you to talk a little bit about emotional intelligence to us regular folks, us non-doctors. And secondly, I want you to touch base upon the, what are the advantages about, about being about compromise and being willing to meet somebody in the middle? Oh man, how much time we got? <laughs> All right, so emotional intelligence, the Reader's Digest version of the definition is recognizing and managing your emotions while recognizing and managing the emotions of others. Now, I have a lot of people who I'm friends with who I disagree with on everything, but you wouldn't know it because if you ever see us interacting, we're cool. That is what we, that's what we want, right? Whether it's in this country, whether you're on a SWAT team or a basketball team, I mean, we all know there's always going to be conflict, right? But again, going back to the phrase of disagreeing without being disagreeable. There's some people who I work with, the only thing we agree on is, uh, I don't know, what color mask. Okay, this mask is probably ideal. And then that's it. But when you look at it from, we'll use law enforcement as an example, right? Officer safety. Um, if you're able to reach people at their level, right, wherever they're at, and you can diffuse them, you know, like Mike was saying, like, okay, they're angry about something, but you recognize the fact that they're not just being angry to be a Adam Henry. I don't know if I uh, need to go into the definition of that, but do you know what I'm saying? If you understand that, hey, maybe this person had just lost a loved one and they're just reacting and they don't know how to express themselves, that gives you a better sense of, okay, how do I... I need to approach, not appreciate, approach this person, uh, or you, you can appreciate where they're coming from, but approaching them from a perspective where, hey, I see you, you know, I understand what you're going through, and I'm here to listen. You know, that's going to carry a long ways versus the, hey, I'm just going to show up and you're going to do what I tell you to do, and so on and so forth. So whether it's managing a conflict in the streets, managing a conflict in the office, managing something with your family, we all know how it is when people get together on Thanksgiving, right? It's the, you know, how can we, like Mike eloquently so put, meet in the middle and not get sent to one side of the fringe or the other side? Because I, at the end of the day, it's all going to be in the middle. You know, that's where the compromise, that's where the sweet spot is. All right. I, have, I also happen to have an expert in Hey, I See You. Mike, as a community policing expert, Mike, that's your big thing, right? Like, hey, I'm not, I'm not Sergeant Powell. I'm, I'm just call me Mike. Now, clearly that is at a level of, hey, I see you. So talk about that and how that's worked in your world and how you think other people can adopt some of that. Yeah, no, I, I think that it's it's being able to relate um, to folks uh, because, again, we are from the community. We're, we're from the communities that we serve. So we're no different uh, than every than anyone else that that we uh, we happen to find ourselves helping on that particular day at that particular time. So I, th I think. I think getting people to understand that that, um, uh, that we see them as people, and and we don't, you know, when when we're doing our jobs, we're not doing it as, uh, hey, I'm the authority, you must listen to me. 
Um, we, we, this is an equal partnership, and and I think that that uh, that folks have to understand that, and, and not only community but law enforcement is that this is a partnership. We can't do it without the community, and the community cannot do it without us. And again, that's that's coming back to the middle, um, and it, and it's it's policing your community in a way in which uh, you know which permeates the idea of hey we 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 we're in the this is our community also. Um, we just happen to be paid full time to to make sure that the the safety and uh, tranquility is 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 kind of maintained. That's all it is. And I and I think I think if we can get back to that place where it's not us versus them and and it's us, it's a partnership. Um, we'll be in a lot better place than than we are now. But uh, but I, I think I think things are starting to uh, uh, I think things are starting to kind of not. I don't want to say level out, but I think some of the emotions we've kind of uh, we've, we've kind of diffused a, a lot of the emotions right now. And now we're trying to figure out where we go from here. All right. Perfect time to jump to Obed. Do you, do you agree with Mike? Are you seeing the emotions leveling out or are you still seeing people that are hot and, and they're just refusing to even have these conversations with people that oppose them? Let me see if I can uh, use this phrase. <laughs> Perception is reality. Right. All right. So this is no knock on the media, but we do know that the media plays a huge role in how sentiments are seen in this country. So we know that there's still work to be done to improve community police relations, right? Nobody's going to disagree with that. The Obviously, the incident that took place in Minneapolis kind of just set this powder keg, uh, you know, <laughs> just blew everything up. But now that we've gotten past that and you know to mike's point what are we doing to improve and make things better uh for those who don't know in the audience i'm one of the co-founders and board members of the american society of evidence-based policing and we had a conference two weeks ago in south carolina we socially distanced we wore masks so don't better be freaking out or anything. Um, <clears throat> but in all the presentations everything that's talked about is always solutions first. So you've got people working all over this country, actually globally, working on improving issues and things in policing. Let's use one example. You guys probably remember uh, when everything, when the civil unrest started taking place, uh, there were some city councils who were real quick to, okay, we're just gonna do this, we're gonna do that, we're gonna take this away, we're gonna defund it, and it was, they ended up doing more harm than good. And now they're having somewhat of that buyer's remorse. I'm using air quotes because now they're like, hey, we need to- Oh, wait, can you provide a specific example? Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. Seattle. Was it? Seattle. Okay. Yeah. We'll use, we'll use Seattle as one example. Okay. So, so Seattle is now having a crisis with hiring police officers. And one of the things I said back then when it took place, and this is what the evidence-based community has been saying, is you can't make policy decisions. You can't make decisions at a governmental level that's going to affect all stakeholders with a knee-jerk reaction. Because when you use a knee-jerk reaction, you're going to do more harm than good. Bringing it back full circle to where Mike's coming from, a lot of municipalities kind of saw what you know some of these governmental agencies did. They were like, yeah, we don't want to go that route. So thank you for being the uh, guinea pig for us. We're going to use a different tactic to you know, uh, to, to fix our problems. Again, I'm using their quotes. And that's what we're seeing right now. I don't know that I've ever seen such, I don't think I've seen as much publicity, and I don't know if that's the right word, 
uh, on a lot of these community organizations, uh, whether it's evidence-based policing, whether it's community grassroots efforts to help bridge that community police relations stuff. So I think that's what we're seeing. There's more of a an acceptance of it, um, or I guess you could say, uh, not commercialization, that was the word I'm thinking of. Uh, okay. Commercial is the best I got, but I think it's more of an accepting, mainstream, that's it, mm-hmm. that's mainstream. There's more mainstreaming of it, especially from the policing side uh, with a lot of innovative programs, so. Mike. What do you think about this? Uh, are the knee-jerk reactions starting to, like as Obed said, have uh, create some bias remorse? And if so, how can we fix that? Well, I, I think, you know, I think Obed uh, made a great point. I think folks are starting to see uh, 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 the effect of some of the decisions that were made um from uh you know all all in different parts of the country and they don't want that uh for their their communities um so i i think that and again i i think some of the decisions were based on not only knee-jerk reactions but extremism uh some of those some of those decisions were extreme and when you when you make decisions um and they're extreme they have they have horrible um consequences and, and I think that's what we're seeing. That's what folks are, are seeing across the country. Um, and, and again, we're, we're not, you know, we're not fixed. We're not out of uh, hot water. But, but I, think that, um, I think that what we're focused on more now is, is, is what, what is reasonable for everybody across the board and not, not just uh, as a result of these, these kind of emotional, emotionally made decisions that, that we've seen um, people making. If, if, Go ahead, Obed. Yeah, if I could just the one small, minute thing. Uh, one of the people who testified in the Chauvin trial uh, a couple months ago, you know, and you know, when you have an expert on the stand, okay, so-and-so, tell me about your qualifications and, you know, what makes you an expert in this field to talk about whatever. Uh, one of the expert witnesses touted the fact that Hey, I'm a member of the American Society of Evidence-Based Policing. Yes, I'm going to, you know, pop a collar real quick. But the point is, is that in a high-profile case like that, do you see what I'm saying? There was an emphasis on, hey, research. And I'm not saying that's the panacea. I'm not saying that everything has to be evidence-based policing and that's that. No, but I'm saying it's it's got to be a strong foundation. You know what I'm saying? And, there's, and it's important. So to Mike's point, hey... Instead of a hastily decision, oh, we're just going to do this because ah, we got to do something. It's like, okay, well, what makes sense? Is there any research or literature that supports it to make sense? If it's never been done before and what we're doing is new, are we inviting researchers and other people to study it to see, hey, as we go forward with this, are we doing more harm than good or vice versa? You know, where are we going well? Where is it falling short? That's what the conversation is supposed to sound like. That's what's supposed to take place, taking everything into account and not excluding one group or another group or anything like that. Because that's how we get in, you know, that's how we get into this mess in the first place. Mm-hmm. All right. So I'm gonna jump in really quick. As far as group exclusion, does that now create yet another issue where let's face it, I think there's more little fiefdoms and factions now than there's ever been. How do you how do you include everybody? How do you get everybody a seat at the table? At some point. It's like the club. Obed, you and I also, when we played football, what else did we do? We were bouncers, right? <laughs> Remember, we were bouncers. We bounced at a club. At some point, yeah. 
at some point, you were going to say we clubbing. About some point, we were bouncing. At some point, you reach capacity. You can only get so many people in that club. Yeah. So how do you how do you how do you make sure everybody is heard and everybody gets a seat at the table when there's only so much time? Because there is a point in time where it becomes uh, paralysis by analysis, and and you have everybody wanting to think about and everybody wants to have their say. All the while. The world's still going on and nothing's getting solved. So how do you how do you how do you address that? Um, believe, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mike. doctor. You you go. No, no, no. no I defer. All right, I'm Mike. You go. <laughs> so what, what I was going to suggest it's it's really really in to me. This is my opinion. It's really really simple and easy, right? So we're, we're throwing a lot of titles and a, and a lot of groups and like you said, it's it's faction. It's all over the place. And, and essentially, at the end of the day, we all want the same thing. Like, we, we literally all want the same thing, to be treated fairly, all that good stuff, all those good words that we're using, we all want the same thing. And, and I think that, that you know, regardless of what group you're in or what, what the, the, the title of your group is or, listen, uh, at the end of the day, we're all fighting for the same thing. So why do we have to continuously throw a title here, a title there, a group there? Um, and I think that if, if, if folks can just really think about that, it really is that simple. It really is that simple. So we've talked about that before in the past too. If we broke things down, if we broke life down to the lowest common denominator, right? And we just lived by the rules that we all went by in kindergarten. Treat others fairly. Share when you have the ability to share. Don't put your hands on people. <laughs> you know what I mean? All these simple rules. I, I know it sounds sounds crazy, but wouldn't we be better off? Like somewhere along the lines, we went and complicated all these little all these simple rules that we that we went by, and we started adding all these sometimes why um caveats to all these things. Like, you know, share when you can share, except for when it doesn't benefit you, and then it does this, and if it meets your political this or that. So I, I don't know. I don't I don't know how to how to, how to fix it and, and still get everybody heard. I, I, I'm uh, I'm not sure it's possible. I, I was going to say, how do you remember what you did in kindergarten? Because I, I don't remember anything in kindergarten. Man. I'm about to drink some more and sure or something. I can't get this old. <laughs> but you know what, though? Here's, here's the thing. We're already doing it, right? Chief, you're already modeling that behavior. LT, you're modeling that behavior. There are other people modifying, not modifying, they're already showing and already leading in the front. And we gotta do more to highlight those people. And I think the advantage, believe it or not, is you know, with the advancement of social media, you know, it's easy to see, oh man, Chief, Chief Jenkins is out here doing what? Oh, we need to find out what's going on out Future Chief Powell is gonna is you know he's a community person. So the more we see this, the more it no longer becomes a you know anomaly. And that's why I was going with the you know the original word of mainstreaming. You know, not that we didn't know that people were doing a lot of work in the communities before, but now you could just go on Instagram, Twitter. I don't have a TikTok, but you can go on TikTok and you can see you know a lot of the things that's going on. Again, it's just like anything in life, man. It's gonna take time, and it's not gonna happen overnight. It's a it's a marathon, not a sprint. And we all want we want it, we want that one hundred yard sprint, but this is gonna be a fifteen hundred. <laughs> Mike, I want to hit the. Do you want to respond? Because I want to hit the chat real quick. I have an interesting uh, comment in the chat that I think we should address. No, sir. All you. All right, let's hit the chat. 
So um, Maureen Gibbons, a.k.a. Mrs. Gibbons to me, not Maureen. She is Mrs. Gibbons. That's her first name. Doesn't the media amplify extreme ideology, repetition, point of view, manipulative narrative? So we have talked about this quite a bit. Is What's the media's role in all this? And how much responsibility should they bear for um, cre- for helping to create some of this division by Ooh, some of this sky is falling um, reporting that they do? Obed, yeah. you seem to want please, in. Please let me have this. I have intimate, um, uh, how shall I say, inexper- experiences with this. Um, and I'm going to take this back a, a decade. So I used to be on our union board uh, back in 2007 to 2010. And this is when the economic collapse, and Mrs. Gibbons, I apologize if it sounds like I'm being long-winded. I'm not. I promise you I'm just setting it up for you. During the economic collapse, uh, you know, obviously the sky was falling, right? And one of the things that was taking place that we've never seen in policing before was the sacred cow pensions and everything else was being taken away and being modified. You had public safety officials being laid off and so on and so forth. Now, we're not saying all of the media, we're just saying in some corners of the media circles, what did you always see, you know, that was going on? Hey, these officers are retiring and making $400,000 in retirement. They're making more retirement than they would. And then that, and and again, I'm just going to speak about California. I'm just talking about California only. So that was a huge narrative that was going on. Now, obviously, that was definitely not the case. And there were some people who were very, very upset and incensed about it. And so one of the lessons was, we have to understand that media is a business and the purpose of all businesses is to make a profit and it's to make money. And we know that sensationalism, however true or not true, that's what sells. That's what get viewers in front of the TV, newspapers, whatever it is. And that's where the money's gonna come in. So I'm not here saying uh, what they're doing is right or what they're doing is wrong. It's more of a, you've got to understand, and I'm not saying that you don't know this, Mrs. Gibbons, I'm just putting this out there, but there has to be an understanding that the media's interests are not always going to be aligned with the truth or what's factual or what, you know, the interest of justice and so on and so forth. So that it's kind of like the the cost of doing business, this is this is to be expected in, in some respects. All right. Let me break to Mike on this. Mike, with that in mind, should there be some, I don't know, some rules, some parameters where what's being reported and what's being put out has to have some sort of factual something or other? It seems like what's happening is they're kind of cherry-picking pieces of stories in picking out the pots that have that's guaranteed to have the highest amount of shock value. Yeah, no, I, I think that there definitely definitely needs to be more accountability when it comes to uh, uh, journalism, uh, particularly related to the to the media. I, I think that you know I, I think they have a duty to to tell the story, but make sure it's accurate. And, and if and, and instead of competing for who's uh, who's going to get the most ratings or the most viewers. You know, just just uh, tell tell the story, and and I think it's unfortunate that um, that money, you know, the high dollar kind of uh, dictates um, who tells the story. You know, who who he who holds the purse makes the decision. 
Um, so I think ultimately it, it's not it's not neutral because you're always going to have, uh, depending upon what what outlet you're looking to for your your source of, of, of news, you're always going to folks who control that particular uh, business, their their um, ideologies, their thought process, their their feelings. Uh, that's coming into the mix. So ultimately, at the end of the day, um, you may want to tell the story and, and it's the truth, and nothing but the truth. But but guess what? You have a boss who, who thinks otherwise. And so I think that seeps into uh, a lot of the media that's that's that we see today. And it's and it's unfortunate. Um, and I think that needs to be addressed and it should be more accountability. And just to clarify again, um, you know, w- this is not all members of the Correct. media we don't uh, on, here on difficult conversations we don't have blanket statements all right so just know everybody know this so because we all know i mean i've actually had a member of the media that was a, a panelist on one of the shows and i find him to be very fair yeah. and very and very and and very down the middle and kind of just calling balls and strikes so Thank it's you. important that you know that this is not uh, yep. Everybody, just like our opinions Absolutely. are our own. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like my, my opinion has nothing to do with my day job. This is my opinion. Mm-hmm. Same with Obed, same with Mike. All right. So just mm-hmm. need to throw that out there for those of you that are uh, might be trying to do a little predatory listening here, looking to pull the, <laughs> the pieces of, of this conversation out to uh, start a fire someplace else. Yeah. And thank, and thank you, because that's important, Dean. So thank yeah, you. Very, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I and I know some people in the media and same thing, fair, down the middle, you know, they don't pull no punches or anything like that. It's you know, it's just unfortunate, just like in policing, right? One or two people, they screw up or they do something bad and then it just tarnishes everybody else, you know, in the profession. So yeah. hundred percent. So at some point, and again, we've talked about this in past shows and 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 we're gonna keep talking about it because it's important. At some point, we have to get past the the practice of painting with a broad brush. Like we just talked about, like the media example, for example, how I said we are not doing that. We were just saying that there is a large faction of people or groups that, that do that. And to Obed's point, like, for example, when the George Floyd, Derek Chauvin incident happened, I work a thousand miles away from there. And I'm answering questions for something about a department that I have no knowledge of, an officer I have no knowledge of. I don't know how they train. I don't know when they train, how frequently they train. And people want to hold me responsible for that. So at some point, um, Obed, how can we how can we help people remember that nobody likes to be lumped into 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 one pot like that? Like, for example, I talk about it before, like Jeffrey Dahmer worked in the candy business at some point. But I guarantee you, everybody that's out there that's watches enjoys a Snickers or a Butterfinger every once in a while. Like you didn't, you know what I mean? You don't, <laughs> you don't stop eating candy or some M and M's because mm-hmm. one person from one industry has some bad in them. So how how do we get people to to understand that and and see see the wisdom of of what we're talking about here? So that's a really good question, and this is one of the uh, I don't want to say the word dilemma. I, one of the one of the hurdles in policing and improving policing, right? So you've got 18,000 police departments that's doing 18,000 different things and 18,000 different policies, different training standards. You have some states with post, some states no post. You've got states that have decertification processes. You've got, like California, there is no such thing as a decertification process. And unfortunately, when you think about proximity, right? 
every we talk about this blue line and you know everybody bleeds blue that's in the profession everything so the you know members of the public are like okay well everybody's blue so that means whatever's happening in you know uh boston must be happening in phoenix or whatever happening in uh sacramento it must be going on in miami or what's going on in some rural you know sheriff's department in arkansas they must be doing the same thing in detroit michigan and we all know that's not the case, right? We know that, um, and there is, you know, obviously there are some skeletons in the closet as we, as we talk about American policing in the past and all that kind of stuff, but. Oh, no question. No question about it. Right. So, so again, moving forward, and I don't know if the, it's the moving forward part, the best thing that we can do, and I know that we're doing it here, is we're putting that best foot forward. You know, we're putting that, um, hey, not officers are like this. Yes, we know that the next person over here, you know, when the next incident takes place, we know that, hey, you know what? They all must be like this. And we know that it's not the case. In fact, during the listening session uh, that I did a couple months ago, that was one of the biggest things that the officers expressed frustrations with. You know, I remember one officer talking about like, hey, I just kind of work every day, just want to take care of my family. I love where I work and I take care of the people. and. I go over here and I, I'm getting called this, this, that, and the third. This is like, I'm here to help you. You know what I'm saying? And having to navigate that, you know, especially when you're working a protest line, you know, you got people in your face calling you all kinds of names and your parents and your family, all kinds of stuff. And, you know, you're just like, do you not know that I volunteer my time, you know, at the local, whether, whether it's a homeless shelter or something like that? I go above and beyond, you know what I mean? But people don't see that. They see the uniform. And it's a branding problem. So, you know, again, bringing it back to, you know, I'm just going to steal it from my boy, Dr. Gould, who did this presentation last week. He had a slide. This, this, this hit me in the face. But he had a slide up, and he had these logos on there, like Starbucks, McDonald's, Taco Bell, all that kind of stuff, you know, Ace Hardware. And then he had a patch, a police patch. And the people in the class were, you know, favorable, even though we know McDonald's, no, no shade to McDonald's, but uh, you're probably killing more people than you think. But, you know, it's just when you when you look at the brands, people have favorable opinions about these brands. Right. But then when it came to the police patch, it automatically had a negative connotation. And I was like, if that's not powerful, I don't know what is. So how do you go from a public safety perspective? You're here to serve and protect. You're here to help. And that is dirty compared to all of these other brands. Again, no shade to McDonald's, just so we all know, they got the best fries in the history of mankind. So I'll just say. All right, so let's, so let's loop Mike in on that. So Mike, how, how do you change that? I mean, as far as the branding issue that, that Obed's talking about, and you as a supervisor too, you must see it. You must have, have, have people that work for you and they're just, they're just throwing their hands up. They're like, I don't know what more I can do. Like I come to work. I treat people right. I get my paperwork in on time. Uh, I, I do all the right things, and it's still not good enough. So, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, <clears throat> I, I think um, I think. Well, first of all, I want to say this: that I, I think the majority of, of of the folks in this country um, do support law enforcement. I, I, and again, I, I think that we're seeing. We, you know, we get this sense that we're not being supported because of some of the things that we're seeing on the media. Uh, social media sites, you, you know, what have you. Um, but speaking in, in particular to my uh, my community, I, I get more thank yous um, during the course of my day than I hate you. 
you know, I really get a I hate you, and I get I I you know I can't even count how many times I get I appreciate you guys, I appreciate you girls. Uh, so, you know, I wanted to point that out, and particularly so that folks that are wearing the uniform or wearing a badge don't get discouraged, because the majority of folks in this country, um, they they you know they they do they are for law and order, law enforcement. Um, unfortunately, I, I think uh, again, it's based upon what we're seeing on on TV, and and everyone has a phone and and all that good stuff. Um, but I but I don't want folks to forget that. Um, but but to Obed's point, uh, some of the things he 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 made is is how you how you prevent uh, getting painted with a broad brush, and 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 I think I think the best way to do that uh, is what we've continued to do, or what we're doing better is just being transparent. Um, and I think that uh, right now body cams are kind of helping with that situation. Uh, a lot of a lot of departments are continuing to uh, to improve with, with, as far as transparency, and a part of that is with uh, technology, and that 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 consists of body cams. So I I think that piece of technology is going to help us across the country uh, be a little more transparent, and hopefully that kind of uh, levels out or, or mitigates. Um, you know, being painted with a broad brush. And we have different standards all across the country, like like Dr. Um, uh, Magni alluded to, different standard, different policies, uh, different laws. There is, you know, there is no, uh, there is no standard when it comes to law enforcement across the country. And, and that's kind of what we're seeing right now. All right. So we're almost at the 10 minute mark. So really quick, in about 90 seconds or less, I'm going to ask you again, something that we've talked about in the past, but I think it's important. Do you think it would be helpful if we had more unified national standards? Obed. Short answer, yes. Um, and I say short answer because one thing that we, you know, policing is going to be different in every community, right? So if you got a community like Fort Myers, which is more of a retirement community, Policing there is going to be drastically different than maybe policing in Los Angeles. Um, when it comes to training, <clears throat> uh, if we don't have anything that we can all point to, right, then what's going to happen is we're going to get more of the same. This agency over here in this part of the country, they're allowed to do X, Y, and Z, which everybody else might find abhorrent, but because they do it, well, then you guys must be doing it too. Case in point, the chokehold, right? Yep. It's really a karate. So you've got one incident that takes place. It's like, well, we, it's okay for us to do it. Now you got states banning it altogether, outright, period. And we're like, well, like to your point, chief, <laughs> we, we, we don't do that. But now we're, you're taking something away from us that we don't even use. But what happens if there's a life or death situation? Um, so that complicates things. And one of the ways you can decomplicate that is uh, by having some uniform standards uh, when it comes to training. Mike, great answer, Obed. Mike, what do you think? Yeah, I'm going to agree with with Obed. I, I think it all depends uh, because each community really is different. The way we police in, in certain uh, communities across the country, it is it's very different. Mm -hmm. Some 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 communities, uh, uh, you know, want something totally different from what on the East Coast may be different from the West Coast. So I, I think, but I but I do. I, I think that a lot of things could be standardized, but you have to leave some room for uh, um, for community 
for community standards, for lack of a better term. So I think there needs to be some wiggle room. I don't think every single thing needs to be um, the same across the country. But I, I think that if we can standardize uh, a, a lot of the big issues that we're seeing, I think we may, you know, we may be in a better place. All right. I love that. Gentlemen, we're about eight minutes out. So let's talk about what do we got going on positive? What are our shout outs? So Obed, what are your shout outs? What do you got going positive? And I saw something you posted on Instagram the other day about books you've read. So what are we recommending? What are we reading? All right. So the book that I'm currently reading right now is The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. And this is the updated version. Um, Heavy. It's heavy. I actually have to listen to it as an audio book in the gym because <laughs> it's just some things in that book. I'm just like, all right, I got to make sure I'm throwing some weights around because, you know. Um, no, you know, shout out, number one, to, you know, Chief Jenkins on his, uh, you know, his new promotion. Deputy, that's important. Deputy, Deputy Chief. The, 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 the Chief is... We're gonna we're gonna say chief. <laughs> but either way, because, thank thank you. I appreciate yeah, it, man. Because it's important that you know men like yourself, men and women, doesn't matter what gender. Uh, you know, people whose hearts are in the right place, minds are in the right place, family men. You know, this transcends policing, but we need to see those good role models in those high profile you know positions, so that others can aspire and have something to shoot for. Uh, you know, to look forward to, you know, maybe being or even surpassing someday. And so if you're not there, then somebody can't aspire for that. So I just want to give you, you know, Chief, that, you know, the shout out. Obviously, shout out to all the uh, police women out there. Uh, I'm going to be in Nashville this week uh, doing some more listening sessions uh, with some of the uh, community members and police officers there. Uh, still working on some evidence-based policing stuff. I just uh, found out that I have a second article, uh, peer support article that's going to be up for publication, uh, I think in the next month, and has to do with COVID-19 and morale uh, here in California with uh, police officers here. So that's just a little bit. If I kept going, we'd be here to like nine o'clock tomorrow morning. So uh, that's amazing, Obed. You know, keep keep grinding, brother. It's, it's, it's an inspiration to us all. It really is. Thank you. Mike, what's going on with you? Uh, same same old stuff with me. I'm I'm just continuing to try to um, to put law enforcement in a positive light. And and I you know Obed said something that resonated with me. I th I think it's um, I think we need to really uh, focus on putting folks in positions that are that are just good people. What um, regardless of whether you're male or female, just good people with good hearts in in some of these positions. Um, and again, we'll, we'll just continue to get better and better. But uh, my focus has has been just to continue to try to put law enforcement in a positive light, bring uh, a different element to uh, to our law enforcement, which is the mental health component, trying to incorporate that with with um, with law enforcement. And because, you know, I don't have to I'm preaching to the choir, but uh, mental health, I, I think, is is um, a big issue right now. And I, and I think we need to get get. Uh, uh, control it uh, a lot better than than we have been, and and kind of shed some light or, or shine some light on um, on mental health issue in this country, and and that's that's kind of where what my goal is. And I appreciate that. Can you just give us a little piece, Mike, as to how you you're looking to accomplish that? If you can discuss any of that. Yeah. So right now we're working with the 
Elliott Community. Uh, it's, it's a family organization. Um, and uh, so we have a clinician that's that's we're doing a, a trial uh, on a trial basis. We have a clinician that's riding alongside of uniformed police officers. And uh, so they once the scene is made safe, a clinician uh, can go and, and add their expertise. Um, and it's and again, it's not the, the clinician is not to take over our calls. It's it's just a tool that we're using uh, because, uh, I mean, let's face it, we are not as experts in, in mental health. Law enforcement, we're not experts. Uh, so if we can have experts who, uh, who who know a lot more about that field than, than we do, I, I think it uh, it can only make us better. Um, and so so that's what we're doing now in hopes, at least in Malden, in hopes to, to add a full-time position uh, mental health professional to our department. That's outstanding. And, and this person is going to be available outside of bank as I was. Yeah. So obviously those are some things that, that um, uh, those are some, there's some dis- decisions that have to be made uh, from folks that are above my pay grade. Um, but that, that's what we'd like to see. And and we have that now there, there are, there are uh, hotlines that you can call and um, uh, for mental health organizations, certain mental health organizations, and, and they'll, they'll come out and assist if, they have someone available or um, they can they can do other things in regards to issuing issuing uh, section 12s or, or working on section 35s for some of the folks that that we're seeing uh, in need of, of mental health services and substance abuse services. And really quick in plain English, section 12s and section 35 since you brought them up. Yeah, that, that's just something essentially uh, a police officer, a clinician, a doctor can issue uh, a, a for lack of a better term, a paper warrant to say, hey, listen, we, this person needs to go into uh, custody, not not police custody, but uh, to the hospital. They need to go to the hospital. And, and it's like a 72 hour. They can they can be kept on a section 12, 72 for, hours, yeah. okay. 72 hours. And section 35 is a whole different thing. That's that's uh, you have to petition in front of a, a judge and they ultimately he or she will make the determination of whether this person is uh, is a harm to his or herself or the general public. Right. And I believe the 35s are generally substance based. Yes. Yes. OK. All right. Well, folks, there you have it. We're coming down to it. We got two minutes left. This has been another great conversation. This is one that needs to be shared. It needs to be it needs to be talked about. We did, we're hoping that this discussion we had tonight leads to more discussions. Because at the end of the day, if we're not communicating with one another, if we're not trying to uh, to to hear each other and seek to understand one another, then we can never meet in the middle, like Obed said earlier in the show. So please, if you like these conversations, please subscribe to us, like us on Facebook, LinkedIn, we're on YouTube, subscribe to our channel, we're on all your favorite podcast channels, and help spread the words because people need to be part of these conversations because... It is so, so important that we try to do everything we can to get back together. So, gentlemen, thank you so much for taking your time out to uh, to, to come out here and, and share some of your wisdom with us. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank All right. You. Well, gentlemen, like I said, it's been a pleasure. Folks, we'll see you next week with another great episode. And as always, hashtag supply the why. Good night, everybody.